Hey, I'm Andy White and welcome to Masters of Medic. This is the show where we talk to the best of the best in enterprise sales. In this episode, we get to talk to my friend, Eric Martarella, the Chief Revenue Officer at GTM Hub. Eric and I worked together at Sprinkle where he was VP of Sales and since then he's gone on to step into three different CRO roles. Eric is much loved among his peers and I'm pretty sure you're about to find out why. Hello, Mr. Eric Martarella. How are you? Welcome to the Masters of Medic podcast. It's great to have you on. How are you doing? Uh, Andy, it's Friday, three or four days before a quarter ends. So yeah, I spell with a Y. Uh, good afternoon to you. It's great to be with you again. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to the show. You and I uh, have had the pleasure of working together in the past at the, the wonderful and very topical Sprinkler, who, uh, as, as we'll know, uh, IPO'd this week. I'm not sure when this will go out. It'll probably be in a couple of weeks' time. I'm, I can see with a smile on your face. You're, you're very, very happy about that. But um, maybe for those of you that, that don't know, uh, those that don't know you, Eric, you could perhaps give, you, give a little bit of an introduction about you know, who you are and, and how you came into this wonderful world of sales. Well, thanks again for having me. Uh, I, I tend to introduce myself uh, with a, with not a lot of prescription other than I'm a lifelong learner. I'm a father of four beautiful boys. Uh, my wife of 20 years, I took to junior prom and we I converted that deal. I, I would say that's the biggest deal I've closed in sales. Um, but I've been on the, on the ground vocationally working since I was 15 and had the opportunity with a, a permit to work. Um, and started with Marriott International and had a blast doing it. Just have uh, an extreme appreciation for hospitality. And uh, my heart goes out to everyone still recovering in that sector and industry from the pandemic. But um, I, I, I tend to, to operate in a way um, which is uh, working toward vocational focus in corporate for the first 10 years. And then I've been obsessing over helping early stage companies get off the ground, particularly in SaaS. And uh, the coverage that I, I, I prefer is market transitional software, uh, typically involving lines of business, collaboration. But I have lots of friends in IT, as I, I spent many years working in various points of the network. Uh, so the most recent 10 years have been intoxicating in that I've been raising a family, uh, learning how to be a better partner to my spouse. And uh, before the pandemic, traveling about 200 days a year uh, for about 10 years. So uh, love travel. And lastly, food. Got to have a great <laughs> meal every day. At least one great meal every day. Yeah, oh, I like that. I, I, I kind of, yeah, that's a, that's a great goal to have. I, I feel like I'm letting myself down on that one. Maybe that's something I definitely need to get better with considering how much I like you in, enjoy food. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. Eric. It's super, super useful. Well, one thing you touched on there, was um, about you know the, the amount of traveling you used to do. Obviously, you're know, being a I think three times chief revenue officer now, and obviously you know, working in global roles as well. Before that, obviously doing a lot of traveling, not just around the US but around the world, I suspect as well. Um, and with with the with the the pandemic and everything that's gone on, I, I can remember a time when I was still leading a sales team in, inside of this pandemic, and that, it occurred to me that our entire pipeline we hadn't met in person any of those customers and that for me was a real sort of shock moment and i remember thinking to myself if i'd have seen that you know six months earlier a year earlier and i told myself that i wouldn't have had the chance to meet any of my prospects i wouldn't have believed it and i if i had been told it as a fact i would think that our chances of success would have been hugely diminished i wouldn't have felt like you could close as successfully 
How, how do you think about that kind of thing? And how, how have you adapted your teams and your approach to kind of make up for the, the, the inability you have of kind of making in-person relationships now? Yes, great question in that I am still trying to figure it out. Um, being candid, I first of all, to address your point, currently I am the GTM Hub uh, at GTM Hub and our Chief Revenue Officer. And I, I don't know who made that title up, but I just uh, will give them, give them an award. Uh, I, I feel as if it's uh, somehow we've, we've tried to make our sales leadership roles bigger and a bigger seat at the table. And I actually uh, tend to operate still in my third run and I, I'm better at it now. I wasn't as good uh, in my first run. And I think I can thank Andy Monfried, uh, who hopefully is listening to this, uh, for that opportunity when I went to Lodomy. But I have uh, had a blast leading and building teams, and in particular multinational teams, because my curiosity about how we're operating as a team and especially coming out of the pandemic is um, I think going to present the best case studies of what we all thought we were doing really efficiently. Um, and that's working cross-functionally as a team and observing everyone's differences in culture, but I love being on the ground. So when I got off that plane in March of 2020, and uh, it was definitely apparent that I wasn't going to be leaving for a while, um, I struggled with it. Um, but I will say my adaptive mindset was to start making calls to folks like yourself and reaching out. So many folks have reinforced that, I think, hindsight learning of the special time that we had. And uh, I just looked and knew the day would come today, next week, where I'm going to be able to get back out and move around. Because as I built teams, uh, I do obsess over being um, more efficient and outcome driven and having better strategy and playbooks. But my belief is that a lot of us have the same playbooks and it comes down to execution and executing at the field level is what I found to be one of my X factors. Um, meaning I put a heavy weight on the interpersonal skills that you need mm -hmm. and the connections you can make when you have a meal or a quick uh, conversation with somebody in a city um, that may have taken you 12 hours to get to, but the ROI was met when you got off the plane and you you were able to shake a hand, give a hug uh, and meet somebody in their backyard and specifically learn with the physical and I'll we'll say the editorial, mm -hmm. the conversations you have on the Uber ride over or the drive back to the airport have often given me the best insights to make decisions. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was, it's, this is a very interesting topic to me. And this is something I was talking to um, a, a previous guest on the show, Thibaut Sarah from um, formerly at Snowflake, the GM and set up a mirror for them there. And we talked a bit about this and, and the, 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 what I think you're talking about there, we, we kind of defined as trust because it's such an important element in, in interpersonal relationships. You mentioned that. And I think it's such a, and it's such a, um, such an, I think an under, valued or underappreciated element in relationships is trust we don't talk about it enough i think we all know it needs to exist but we don't talk about it enough and, and i think it goes both for customer relationships and peer and you know um colleague relationships as well just something that just yeah it's, it's it just strikes me that we don't mention it enough well I think we mentioned it a lot in the last year and a half, um, and it was very apparent if we're just going to pick on one of uh, one of my favorite channels to digitally engage on and support one another, and that's LinkedIn. So I encourage anyone listening, please link in. Uh, I often say if I can connect you to uh, somebody in my network, I will, if, if it makes sense. 
But I, I saw a lot of folks over rotating on this topic of wanting to be human and mm-hmm. wanting to be, appear to be trustworthy. And um, I believe you can see it very clearly in the authenticity of the pros, the content, um, what the what the focus of the conversation is. Um, when you are forced to do it in several characters, in the case of LinkedIn, you have plenty of opportunity to even use video. Um, but it was very apparent that this was going to be a popular thing to talk about. And Andy, I, I felt a bit of an aversion of contributing to the conversation. And um, why is because I, I think folks will know often uh, when you meet them, if they are sincere and no matter how you invest in that, uh, you will you will often fail if it's not felt. So I, um, I've had this give and take with with uh, contributing in, in a way back to the community. I, I, I love to absorb. I'm, I'm more of a voyeur as it relates to social. Of course, we had some time together at Sprinkler and I spent probably seven years and uh, I'm fascinated about how that industry is evolving and changing as it relates to what's possible for the journey on the experience. But I'm, I'm more obsessing these days over learning how to be more outcome focused and effective versus just productive and trying to contribute to the machine because that's the popular thing to do. Yeah. And I think, um, I think what you're, what you're reflecting on there is your self-awareness of how you're coming across in those situations. And I think what, what comes back is, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously people that are self-aware um, with, with high EQ tend to be very, very conscious of how they're contributing towards the conversation and whether it's, you know, whether they're giving value back or not. And I almost almost think like, you know, credibility comes into play as well. And, you know, if you're always, always just chipping in, um, then people will become aware of that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's almost like the the person that rarely speaks. And when they do speak, you tend to kind of sit up and take notice a little bit more. I think there's something that comes into play there as well. So kind of having that, that thing to say, and it's like, Oh, hang on a minute. I haven't seen, I haven't seen email posts for a while. And here he is, he's saying something. I'm, I'm going to really make sure I read this. Um, and I think there's something in that as well. So Here's the thing. I was looking, um, obviously, we, we mentioned you, you're now uh, CRO at GTM Hub. And I was looking and I, I noticed that, you know, there's a there's a serious amount of talent that I know of that's gone there. And it's it, I know of it because I remember it. Remember these folks as being the talent we got to work with at Sprinkler. And so now there's, you know, you, a number of our former colleagues and now still your colleagues over with you at GTM Hub, people that, you know, I know are like, you know, some of the best people I've worked at in their their chosen roles, their chosen professions and areas of expertise. How is it, do you think that those you people of, you know, A players are gravitating together um, like that? How does that happen? Because that's something that a lot of people will try to replicate, but it's very, very, very rarely you see it, certainly with the amount of people that you've got with you over at DTM Hub. Well, it's pretty decisive when I when I onboard. Uh, best team wins, uh, and you know you want to be in a position where you can call somebody in that A plus category and have the believability index to bring them in. I've been on some missions that uh, I've had some some pause in doing that, and in this role, not even before I joined, did I have one shed of doubt that this was bigger than the S word. Um, it's bigger than the S word and it has all the risk that the S word had for me when I uh, left a very 
uh, strong, strongly positioned role at Cisco, managing a very large relationship, Amazon and Marriott, um, and took a shot and uh, and believed in an entrepreneur and the the growing opportunity is related to the addressable market, but more importantly, in vibing with what the mission was. So it's very kin to that, and you know, I believe in early stage building, um, you have to get some of the band back together. And oftentimes it doesn't work. In this case, I've taken um, a run at some of the folks that have, have uh, I've always wanted to work with again, and mm-hmm. I've been successful about half the time. So I'm not, I'm not ever batting hundred percent. And I think is I, I, I close the, the dawn of doing early stage. It might go into a little later stage. If I'm batting 500, at least the North American sports reference, you're, you're typically in the hall of fame as a baseball player. Um, but this has been uh, an easy conversation to have. Um, and I will, I will go back to uh, the other point of having an understanding in self-awareness from being a sales leader. I, I cannot produce the results and put smiles on my client's face if the product isn't amazing. And I can't give them uh, uh, any amount of discount or um, easy and great experiences in a process that will be appreciated if they don't drive results and metrics. So I obsess over that. So when I'm recruiting and building teams, I'm trying to understand what they want out of the the, the journey. And uh, it may, in some cases, take five to 10 years to get there. But my, my believability index is very high because I spent a lot of time with the CEO. And I will also uh, share that I purchased this software and went through the entire buying journey uh, without having any preference, not even a call for a retained recruiting opportunity to join this company. And so selecting the software for a client I was advising for, seeing the impact, the results, understanding where we were needing to improve, and then spending the several hours with the CEO and also bested uh, folks in the review process, including the VCs, I couldn't say no. So most folks haven't been able to say no when I call them, um, but I'm also cognizantly aware that it is, uh, you can never force somebody to do anything. And I never aim to do that, but it is called recruiting, right. not not just interviewing and, and, and onboarding. So uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty aggressive uh, as I am in my selling pursuits uh, when I'm doing that. Yeah, I love that. One of the things you were talking about there was the, um, you know, the, the the you were sort of alluding to the sort of overall life cycle of a, a deal and a customer and that sort of thing, and how how important it is to obviously have the good product to back up that could go to market. And actually, the go to market is an interesting one to, for me, um, not only because go to market is an acronym of the same name as your company, which is confusing for me, and I'm sure you probably get a lot of good inbounds that way, actually. Um, but um, because you have, for me, one of, if not one of, the, you know, one of the greatest, not the greatest SaaS marketers in that I've ever seen, that I've ever see, been sort of a, a part of a team with in, in Jeremy Epstein. So he, for me, is... Oh, a, no, no, no. We call him Jerberry. Jerry, I, I knew that, but I always get it wrong. So I didn't want to say, so I'm glad you corrected me. He actually calls himself Yuri Bear, and he does not want to be confused with the other uh, Jeremy Epstein. So yeah, yeah. He, he, you're not, you're not, he's probably was one of the reasons, but not the reason. In fact, I independently went through the review process without even speaking to him Yeah, because I've often seen people make mistakes uh, mm-hmm. when they follow leaders or they follow folks that once they built something great with, 
And uh, it didn't work out well. So I was very cognizant of, of that coming into it because I'd learned that lesson before. Yeah. But it, without question, one of the top community marketers on the planet and a great friend of mine and someone I always enjoy um, fighting and all the struggles that go into sales and marketing. So I think that's a probably an interesting intersection of our conversation of how that actually works. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, happy to espouse if you have a question to tee it up. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just give you a story or two and I will try not to focus on my good friend too much as I explain these. Maybe we can't protect his uh, anonymity anymore, but <laughs> I would love to hear more. I, w- I was actually going to try and direct the conversation that way because, you know, yeah. it's for me, you know, uh, marketing is is such an important part of of, of our success in, the, in 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 let you know. I know it's part of the revenue team, but really, you know, that top of funnel and then and driving the the traction through the funnel is is, is yeah. a big part as well. So I'd love to hear more. Well, this is this big push and pull. I mean, the, the Horowitz book, uh, Hard Things About Hard Things, says I should be fighting more with the product and engineering team. And um, Rado and Jordan here and uh, Ivan are all co-founders. They're all product and engineers. And it's, it's probably not a good good uh, uh, adage to follow, um, to fight with the folks that are innovating to the future, especially when one of them is your boss. But uh, I have no problem with the, the, the conflict. And I think there's beauty in, in the conflict. In fact, um, there is a lot of things that you should establish day one, especially in early stage, that are the rules. Um, there is a lot of operating rhythm that you impart when you go from an inbound to an outbound motion, which is one of the things I, I was doing. And consequently, marketing has to change. And it's 2021. So I'll only share um, a quick story about one of our first encounters. So Jared came over here and sat in this uh, very small space, and we had a reckoning uh, within the first half hour, which was the things that we've done before and building out to a double unicorn and all the other accolades, et cetera, that a boys doesn't mean anything. And we have to look forward and recognize it's 2020 and we have to embrace new process, new technology, new ways of working. And most importantly, uh, observing the new opportunity and talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. So we have built a team together very differently than we ever have. Now, credit to him in that he will be very innovative always in terms of where talent is located. So we have folks in nine countries on his team. And so he builds a bit different in a great way, um, because through that, you get diversity of thought, alignment to cultural views and customer POVs. But We've taken a very hard run at this and are building in a unique way, unlike I've ever done before. And my my lean towards technology is that I'm fascinated by companies like Sixth Sense and other opportunities. And when you federate it as an architecture, my belief is that for the first time, I'm seeing sales and marketing at nauseam come to the table and truly create a sales enablement but thinking about it also inclusive of marketing and uh, it's not easy Mm. and you will fight, but when you fight through it and you do the hard things and you plan it out and you execute, my belief is you're going to see a much better process. And most importantly, if I think about my customers beyond the ones that are our customers, our sales leaders, our sales team, they're happier. They're more efficient at what they do and they are better knowledge workers when it comes to executing the goals. 
Right. You've set them up for success. Yes, indeed. One of the things that I always found was really strong um, about the way that Jair would do marketing when we were at Sprinkler was that he was fantastic at fueling and giving you kind of the both the collateral and the the kind of the the backing to build champions inside of your deals, inside of your customers. And, and you touched on it a little bit with that community piece. What do you um, what do you think? Why do you think he's so effective at that? What do you think it is that he kind of focuses on to get those goals? I believe we're both sharing the mindset and you wrote a book about it and uh, calling to the champion, just one, one particular chapter. That's one of my favorites, uh, especially at quarter end, as we talk about testing your champions and creating opportunities for the next play. But, you know, a champion is really an advocate of the brand and they will, as, as a proficient enterprise seller and anyone listening has had one or two customers know what I mean. When you're badged at a uh, corporate headquarters, if you were to be let in today and you are interchangeable with the team, um, then it's natural and you, you will be more effective uh, from all of the things that you're aiming to do in terms of your execution of plan. And so when Jer and I spend the time and energy creating an ecosystem of advocates and champions of our brand, they may not be part actually of our, our, our commercial um, uh, business at all. In fact, that's, I think, in some ways, some of the magic, uh, which is hard to prescribe and is probably a book that he could write. But it's something that I have a particular passion point around because as I've get, gotten a bit older in this, um, and we go back 25 minutes to that topic of what being trustworthy, authentic is, uh, it's not so forced when you have great relationships and folks don't necessarily see, whether it be digital or a physical event, um, a pane of glass of people that are basically advocating for your brand because it's contrived and they should. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we risk in that losing some of our um, you know, potential people to be mouthpieces and shout from the rafters. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not being in, uh, in, in terms of the analyst coverage saying that that's not a different motion that is, <laughs> um, and you spend good money to have that type of, of, of voice and quadrant placement. But, but when you, when you build an authentic community, it sort of like an Alliance channel firing on all cylinders sort of sells itself. And um, you can only hope to make it more uh, efficient uh, in the example of a sales leader by having really disciplined operating rhythm and process in place like Mepic. Right. I like Mepic. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you talked on the um, the, the, part, the, the, the partner ecosystem there, the alliances. How, I obviously at GTM Hub, that's, that's pretty big for you guys, right? Because you're such a, you're working in such a space that is so um, sort of business business led, and almost sort of consulting in a lot of ways, consulting led. How do how do you folks? Uh, how are you guys building the alliance business there? How how important is it to you? How how do you kind of work with your partners in in enterprise sales? Well, I've been a raving fan of this, and I can credit. Um, you know, John Chambers and the team, Carlos Dominguez, who is one of my great friends and mentors, uh, who sort of taught me this. And, and I learned it before I, I met them. Um, and John is more of a level five. We're, we're not on um, 
Hey, how's it going, John? Hey, Eric. Uh, and had I stayed at Sprinkler, perhaps. Um, but he is level five, and I would say define those level five leaders. It's just a quick uh, public service announcement because I have many. But the net is I had, I've never achieved any great amount of, of, of success in a sales function, whether I be an individual contributor or leader without a partner ecosystem, uh, a great product, okay, solution consultants, solutions engineers, Dan Woodward, John Toomey, Philippe Bukaka, uh, Drew DeJafla. I'm naming them because uh, Rachel Waters from Cisco. I mean, when when I've exited those journeys, um, in the case of Rachel, I think we were tearful um, because they drive so much of the process for you because of the the teaming aspect of their their proficiency. Now back to partners. If you could look at Cisco as an example and have 99% of your revenue attained through an indirect channel, I believe that's what great looks like. Um, you take the operating costs down. Um, you have a better better experience as it relates to coverage. Um, potentially some disciplines that you just could never build and scale, especially in an early stage. Um, and lastly, when I say experience matters, what I want is our, our customers and prospects to be served in the life cycle. And while I may have our customer success team uh, alongside the ride, there are certain things that we just won't address. And so partners fill that hole and they create um, a much stickier relationship by virtue that they're experts in what they do. And with GTM Hub, we are uh, in early days, uh, we'll say across the planet of folks adopting a mindset of becoming less industrial economy focused and productivity oriented focus, uh, and more about their knowledge economy and outcomes and how we measure effectiveness and what I shouldn't be doing when I wake up. What mission matters? You have them up too. I do, yes. Um, and and I, I'll make a closing pointer on that, that the technology part's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. The change management, the behaviors that have to shift inside a business, that's the tough stuff. And so fortunately, I've always had great relationships with partners who have uh, helped me, you know, we'll say cross the chasm when it hasn't been about the technology SaaS or widget that I've been providing, but more about all the preparation and continued refinement to how they actually execute. Um, that is a that is an interesting topic as well in itself. As much as um, I, 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 I think there's a real big divide in enterprise sales that doesn't, I don't think, get defined enough or, 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 or as, as regular as it should be, which is that there's a real big difference between having a category creating product and proposition compared to being like the 2.0 of something that already exists or the 3.0 if you're talking about things like email marketing and that sort of thing. And I think that um, there's a real there's a real difference there in, in, in how you approach the, the opportunity and how you kind of engage with the customer and the kind of, you know, the tactics from everything from, from you go to market to your in-person, you know, the, the things you're focusing on to try and differentiate. Um, and with a proposition like you have at GTM Hub, which is for those that don't know, and you, you probably hate me for the way I articulate this, but it's, it's software to help organizations enable OKRs. Is that, how would you describe it? What would you, how would you define I was going to offer you a marketing role. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Sim simple, simple is, is, is a better way to describe it, which you just did. And the, and the fact that the, uh, just to give you a frame of reference, I was okay. What for me, uh, prior to me, uh, looking at GTM hub as a potential solution, what the problem statement was or before was, um, for our command and message fans out there is most organizations, whether they be, uh, uh, a fortune 500, that's 50 plus years old, uh, or, just an A series company um, that is getting started with 15, 20 people, all obsess over the same things, right? It's, it's going faster. It's creating effectiveness through measuring what matters. A book was written on it. Google mm -hmm. was cited as one of the early adopters. But the before statement today is when you, when you do all that in a spreadsheet and you have an opportunity to meet with a team, um, you're not necessarily going to get the lift in the after the meeting, meaning to quote uh, actually Raji Thomas after our first kickoff on a weekend in 2012 came up to me and put his arms on my shoulders and he goes, make sure this wasn't a movie. And I've used that before uh, and again and again, but I did, I knew what he meant. He was saying, I don't care what was on that whiteboard, um, but I care about it. But most importantly, make sure it sticks, make sure that we follow through on what we just strat and planned around with Mike Logan and that early stage team. Um, and that that was a very riveting moment for me. And I understood what he meant, similar to a sales rep getting off a call and forgetting to put in the notes and informing the cross-functional team members of what our next steps are. Like that, those are those moments of truth where you know that data leakage is a big, big challenge. Mm -hmm. So working with the opportunity to work with an early stage or late stage company and helping them with software come together to drive focus and alignment, transparency, have it be dynamic because it's not about OKR or it's it's the framework and how we orchestrate. But this is a results orchestration that is fed by the data and the inputs. So we're just getting started. And a lot of folks are spending time with us because they have been doing this as a spreadsheet. They've been mm -hmm. using Ghost, Smart Goals, VSCM, but they're starting to understand that it's not about necessarily just the company top line goals that everybody wants to see. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to see what everyone else is doing. But most right. importantly, if you could help contribute to somebody else's KRs for a particular quarter when they have an OKR set and be able to have that visibility, but also functionally go in and do something to help improve that metric, it just is what great looks like for me. And as we go through the journey with customers, we're seeing marked differentiation of crawl, walk, run of folks wanting to take 20 integrations in day one, and some just wanting to get out of a spreadsheet and in a system of record together right. so they can see each other's focus, transparent alignment. And uh, lastly, good use case, mm -hmm. one of my clients every week was running a call with the C-suite where it was just 10 PowerPoint slides provided and collated into one and yep. they just spread the news to each other. And that way of working still works, but what if the meeting ended and you could still be in an, you know, in a, in a transparent way of looking and keep that conversation going. So it wasn't a movie mm -hmm. between Monday and the next Monday call. That's what we do. Right. 
I like that. And I, I've been in that position where I've been working on my, you know, the updated OKR slides in PowerPoint. And, you know, we, we weren't even using Google Slides. So you'd have like this, the latest version, and someone would work on one late version. And then you'd, you, you'd be, hang on a minute, I'm working. And then, oh my God, you're merging slides together. Nightmare. Um, so that's that's a million miles away from the, the utopia state that you're talking about. It is. And I will say from an ICP, any of my brothers and sisters listening, uh, I'm not necessarily calling chief revenue officers, but I will say they are great champions and right. often coaches. Haven't found a saboteur yet um, because they obsess over understanding what's going on in marketing, mm. what's going on in engineering, how is finance performing? Because it impacts if you're on a PL like myself, mm. uh, your decision making. And um, you know, the the ability to just do a self-service. Uh, is an interesting attribute of what we do. And I just want to bring it up as a, as a point of not contention, but an early day, oh, situation that I was looking at. Now, we've had a, a, a run together and we had a competitor that had a self-service model. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I perceive it as a flywheel and I actually perceive it as a, a big benefit to our business because um, our business is fueled by our customers. And mm -hmm. if you have a prospect that can go in and download um, or log in for a free trial and experience the software. Okay, they're not going to have the experience they'd have with a uh, SE and a sales process in motion, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. Can they use it? Do they see value? Do they talk to one of their, their chief yeah. of staff and say, hey, I think I could solve your problem. So that was actually the, 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 the company was actually the genesis of it was data company. This right. is a data play, but it also evolved into a self-service platform. So we offer both, and we believe growth can be achieved through ubiquity. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I am agnostic. I want folks to leverage this platform. I'm passionate about uh, them evolving the way that they work if they're a solopreneur or they have 15,000 people in a division that they manage. Right. Um, but it has to be simple. It has yeah. to be easy. And I, I guess I'm up for that. Uh, difficult stuff still, because I wouldn't be in a transitional mm -hmm. software space. Um, but what I'm not up for is complicated. Right. So. Well, you touched on something there that I'm very, very interested in, which is product-led growth, where you've got your, you know, your self-serve model, as you, as you, as you call it there, where you've got obviously inbound people, people, I imagine from all sizes of company, we're not when, because I think traditionally, when we talk about self-serve, you get kind of, it gets sort of badged as being small, medium-sized businesses, companies you've never heard of, right? But actually, in the modern, the modern self-serve model, you can have someone from a car manufacturer pop up as, you know, and, and like you say, using it, in their in their internal team, you know, I know that you know with the aim to roll it out further. And I think if you look at some of the greatest software companies of the moment of where we are right now, um, companies like Slack, companies like Notions, companies like Airtable, these companies are all doing that self serve model. And you know, I'm sure, I'm sure one. I mean, put maybe not Slack, that's more matured, but some of those companies like Airtable, like Notion like Miro, uh, like Figma, I'm sure that they're probably being used inside of your organization. And they would have probably 95% of the time started self-serve. But, you know, as they kind of proliferate around the organization, 
then you start to sort of see them sort of rise up. And that, that for me is really exciting because it's a whole, it's a whole new channel of sales. It's a whole, it's really all the signs have been there for so long about, you know, customers doing, you know, all those data points around customers come to you and they're 70% informed about the decision. And they're really just trying to get the final 30%. Well, in a lot of cases now, they're then way more than 70%. Really, they're actually made their decision. They're coming over to you and it's now your job as a, as a revenue team to try and sort of, well, first and foremost, it's your job as a product team to deliver the experience where they want to stay and they want to use the product. But then once they start to use it, then, you know, those must be, I imagine I can sort of see a situation where there's almost like a little, like you'd have it. I can imagine if you had, if we're in person and you're at your office, I can imagine you having like a, like a bell rigged up, like an alarm rigged up. If, if, if X email address from this top 100 list signs up self-serve, like wow, let's go! Like let's like get in the war room. We're gonna we're gonna. How can we make this customer successful? And do you see much of that? Do you see much of the you know the 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 self serve um, people coming in bound that way? And then what do you do? How do you, how are you approaching it? Well, we approach them the, the way they want to be approached, and that the sense of you know, if, if if somebody at a university, as an example, is a customer at GTM Hub, because it will help them in the, in the sense if I think of. Other reasons I've done this role, it's it's actually very personal in the sense that I have had coaching from mentors that have observed how I built and executed um, and, and received feedback that I need to be more focused in line of sight or in strat and plan. Like, what's the plan on paper? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's like the hardest thing sometimes to do is you're just flying this plane, raising money. Um, adopting uh, to a new team, culturally aligning, and, and how does that change from an A to a D round? I know at every stage felt like, and I've done a couple since that have been late, but also A to B, and and it's just different, right? But if I could be better, if I if I could work on myself, it was to be more disciplined in this way. Um, so when somebody is taking the time and energy to work with our software in a self serve way. We're actually very self-aware and allow them to do it. Now, we, of course, leverage technology and have the ability um, with a, a lot of different ways uh, that it federates back to CRM to pay attention. Um, but we have a very decisive approach around allowing them to explore and, and truly reach their own end pass. Um, because there are people that are using our software that are in philanthropic Areas. I mean, we just uh, closed a, a deal with the United Way. We actually give our software away to any nonprofits, um, any great cause. Um, working with a, a good friend to do a segment around how our software has helped advance cures. Uh, this is not a GTM Hub commercial. I mean, these are things of which I've been doing this for a long time, and mm-hmm. it's really important for me to be working with a software that could potentially change the way, as Cisco said, it lives, works, and plays. Um, I'm back in that seat again. And, you know, it's not easy as a sales leader to have, uh, you get the feedback loop from your team. Um, they don't want to be competing against a self-service model, but I heard that same team in 2007, as I was supporting Amazon mm-hmm. in particular, the AWS team, mm-hmm. that's how that company started. In fact, they didn't even write a contract, at least that I was aware of until 2009. And wow. So folks were using their Amex. So look no further than, okay, yes, Andy Jassy and Bezos, um, who were <laughs> you know, striving to create modules that folks could just bend. Brilliant, right? Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of efficiencies in that. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. So changing gear a little bit, actually. Um, one of the things I was really fascinated to dig into a little bit was, you know, you 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 went. I, I, I tell this story. I always think about how I first met you, and I was onboarding in New York for Sprinkler at what they would call Splash. I'm sure they still do call it Splash. I'm sure there's probably a few more people there than than I was there. But I was thinking about this actually. This is just a, 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 a an interesting point. The 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 amount of people from my Splash that are still at Sprinkler is is quite remarkable. That's sort of six, seven years ago, I think. So that is that's kudos to Sprinkler there for, for retaining those people because they are hugely talented people in, in, in that case. So that's really interesting and remarkable to me. But um you were described you came in and I can't remember what the topic was, um, but I remember um the how you were introduced, which was to be they, they were talking about how long and hard they were trying to 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 lure you over to, to Sprinkler. And so you came into Sprinkler, had a great, great tenure there. How many years were you at Sprinkler? Five. Five years. Five years at Sprinkler. Incredible. And then obviously stepping, you know, in, in the global VP sales role and then stepping out into um, uh, Lotomy as, as chief revenue officer there. And then, you know, a number of other roles since then to where you are now. So um, a lot of sales leadership experience in different organizations. How, how much, this is a question I always like to dig into, how much does your playbook differ based on the product you're selling, the proposition, the sector you're selling to, all that kind of stuff? Does it differ a lot? Is it mostly the same? That, that's always a super interesting question I love to, to hear about. It's always different because okay. I learn from every one of those runs and journeys. And, and I will be self-effacing and say, and Andy, this was uh, one of the first conversations we had. Um, as I aimed in that role at Lodemy um, to to truly put the discipline and operating rhythm that was uh, at the time lacking, mm-hmm. and that was sales qualification. So mm-hmm. I have some core core tenets that I, I I'm unwavering from. I think John Kaplan said it best is, uh, and maybe it was Brian Walsh in one of the trainings we did when we were going through command a message, maybe the fourth time at Sprinkler. But the point was like you you can do a lot of other things here, right? But you you can't not do these three, right? So if you don't want to, you're just not on my team and that's okay. And I think it was Brian Walsh, um, big fan of him. Great, great trainer, brilliant mind. Lots of good Xerox references too. I think we can learn a whole lot from those playbooks. Back to your question from those early 80s men and women that were driving around in the K car, pulling the Xerox out and demoing, right? So mm-hmm. it's activity driven, of course. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, value framework and how you have a conversation because when I buy software and I bought nine different sales tech stacks so far, I want it to be a great experience and I want it to be about me. Let's be selfish for a moment, like my pain. Yeah. So there are, there are, there are things in which I am just wedded to because I haven't seen something better, mm-hmm. but every day I'm open to a better way uh, to to delight a customer or move a sales stage quicker through the funnel, or just honestly have an employee feel like they're contributing beyond just a a decimal point. Um, That's super important to me because the vocational path, uh, why we make that choice to go from individual contributor uh, where you have things forced upon you is is still like right in my frontal lobe. And I've had some really great sales leaders and I've had some really bad ones mm-hmm. and the bad ones I can only characterize lacked 52 minutes back 
self-awareness of what was too much. Yeah. So I'm constantly on that edge of trying to test my self-awareness because we all think we're self-aware and 98% of us aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Another fact, I think my wife brought that to, you know, the last Friday night's glass of wine um, as I was (laughs) feeling very confident. Um, but my point is, you know, be, be very cognizant of what's too much, especially in early stage. So adapting to, to where you need to be, can't, can't be more pointed of, of what I want to say as it relates to just even coming into this journey. Yeah. I'm meeting, I'm meeting smart people in some case, much smarter than me. So I have to be cognizantly aware that I can't put everything out and playbooks yeah, it just comes down to execution. I think everybody has. Yeah. I hope my competitors are listening. And by that, competitors welcome in the uh, result <laughs> orchestration space. We, we want a really crowded quadrant. We're just going to be in the top right if you're okay with it. <laughs> but I think we all have the same playbook. And we yeah. all read the books. But I believe in the sense bringing back the gift that you've given us in your words and study, giving practical examples yeah. are what I obsess over learning. I don't, I don't need any more philosophy. I've got enough. Yeah. Practical examples are a really fascinating one for me because they, and I I recently learned this more about myself and trying to like discover more about how my own brain works. And I'm I'm actually pretty sure that if I was actually located in the US that I'd have been diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, I never, never got the diagnosis, but I'm like, I would bet 99% sure that I have that. And it's, it's, it comes back to how, how I digest information and how I, and, and by contrast, how I will not digest information. I will just, I, things will go completely over my head unless they have that metaphor, unless they have that analogy, unless they have that creative um, way of describing how it comes across. And I think the, that's where examples come in so much. And I think maybe a, perhaps an overlooked element of, um, of, of experience is not just having the experience to know, you know, that of all that flow chart, if this, then that, then, you know, how to act with it. But it's, it's the, if this, by the way, follow me on this path, because I've got an anecdote here that's going to explain to you and make you understand why, if this, then that. And then now if we're here, here's the next example from my experience. And so I think that's something that's so often missed when, when, when people talk about these things. And so that's a super interesting one. One final question. I just want to interject that I've not met anyone proficient at sales that hasn't had um, what is clinical. And I have no problem admitting that that I've not diagnosed either, but a bit of ADHD. And I think that uh, seller's deficit disorder has been brought up. um, And I don't think it's branded by by some of our friends that taught us it, but I think it actually is a um a, one of the more brilliant things about you andy so the fact that you can you, you focused and wrote a book to me uh i'm not a doctor but would say um even if you had tenants of adhd it actually is probably helped you more than it's ever held you back yeah. because of your your strong grit and fight to in, in the discipline you imparted to actually take the time to even orchestrate something like this conversation uh, yeah. It's pretty easy, right? But it takes energy and effort and discipline to actually do it. And that's, that's I think, what you struggle with at times in the field or as a sales leader. Yeah. What you, you, could, you could occupy 24 hours of a day because there's an excess of opportunity. There is. And uh, if you get out there, you'll see it. If you stick, stay inside and you hit refresh in Salesforce at the end of the quarter, you're, you're not doing your job. Not doing your job. That's a good point. Excess of opportunity and maybe a good way to kind of 
wrap things up with the final, my favorite final question, which is excess of opportunity is, is one thing. So especially where you've got, you know, so many brilliant propositions today, you know, by the time people like yourself get involved, it has to be a good proposition, right? So your team is going to always have a um, a compelling proposition that that customers should listen to. So how do you qualify that the time is being spent in the right places and keep you keep your team focused on outcome driven and sort of pro- progressive sales opportunities, not ones that where you know they're just happy to continue talking about stuff, but actually where we can tangibly move deals forward. What 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 mm-hmm. sort of uh, tools, I guess, or parts of your playbook yeah. cover that. Yeah, yeah. You could you keep wanting to dig into my playbook. I, I can't give the secret sauce away. No, like <laughs> it's 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 the discipline that in in the sense of uh every every great sales leader listening and it took me a while to learn this and be actually pretty proficient at it myself is that when you're spending time and energy with your teams and and one or ones or your your frontline leadership discussions that you've done your homework and you have the ability, of course, with technology to get things to advance and leverage you know, qualification uh, methodology is which you wrote on with Medic or MedPick or EC Mart. I'm just saying, yeah, uh, got another one, got another, I got a sequel book for you. But my point is that the, the ability to have um, also, yes, I'm going to say GTM of helps me identify what is important and what isn't because my team leverages uh, GTM Hub to set their own KRs and they are beyond the metrics that you can already see in Salesforce. So my closing point on that is when you're bringing folks together, if you are just having them read the news or you've done nothing in the way of preparation, my permission is you as a seller or my team, bi-directionals, you end the call. And we've had some abrupt endings since I've had this kind of motion. We just end the call. And it's because it's disrespectful. Mm. And if you think of the opportunity to, to uh, really show at the, at the onset how you're going to be um, helping someone be more productive in a role or efficient, rather, you need to, you need to first start with respecting the individual. This mm. is not a hierarchical servant. Uh, you know, servant leadership, the people that uh, put it uh, that are charlatans at it, Go have that call and then, you know, have a QBR and sit there with their arms crossed and have done nothing in the way of doing the pre-work. And that to me is, it's offensive. And I've made the mistake, by the way, several times. So the only reason I get a little bit triggered is because I, it, it it's something that as a seller bothered me the most. And when I've made the mistake, uh, I know it's held us back, but, you know, beyond that, there's lots of tech that can create signals um, of being more productive, one of which is GTM Hub. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you very much. I think we've just about used up all of our all our time we have allocated for this, which is uh, a shame because I feel like we could go on and, and, and talk for hours about this stuff and uh, really dig in deep. But where where can, you mentioned earlier, people to reach out and connect. LinkedIn, is that the best place to, to find you? It's the best channel for sure. I, uh, I welcome you to, to do that. And I will, of course, broker introductions. But Andy, thank you for having me on. It's a bit cathartic to have a, a great host like yourself. Just ask a, a few questions. Um, I always learn things as I go through this, but I'm continuing to learn through you. And I encourage everybody that's uh, um, spent some time reading the book or actually listening weekly to your updates and your podcast release to keep doing so. Because 
it's uh it's better in 2x speed i'm not gonna lie i probably sound better <laughs> three. but um uh it's become a bit of a habit and um, i've really been intrigued by some of the guests and the candor that you you bring to the conversation by your line of questions so hopefully it uh it lands in a top 10 but i didn't enter this conversation trying to do anything other than get to know you and hopefully this audience a little better yeah no thank you it's been super super good and thank you for that kind words that that goes up there i've got my kind of my little sound bites of like you know if i'm having a bad day that's going on the playlist as i got i, I caught john mcmahon saying that i was the medic guy which is quite funny so i've got that that's at the top of the list um and I, uh, yeah. I bet you can't play john in 3x speed you wouldn't want to try anyway but uh uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I, I can't believe we went a whole hour and didn't didn't reference John McMahon, but I actually will close with it and say that guy profoundly changed my life in many ways. And not because we were on the phone a whole lot, but he taught me a lot of things around another, uh, we'll call it segment that we could talk on and that would be recruiting. And then also when you make that decision to voluntarily leave a post of which you had a whole lot of sentimental reasons to stay but maybe not a lot of business reasons. Uh, he was the one guy that actually coached me through that change management in my head. And so for that, we'll say yes, John McMahon, thank you for your support. Yeah, indeed. And and the and the 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 guy has as I think probably everyone listened to this, but if you if you've been living under a rock, he's got a book out, The Qualified Sales Leader. It is a tre- tremendous, every single person I've I've spoke to, a lot of people with books, especially sales books, they say, yeah, I've got that one. With with John's book, everyone I speak to says, "Yeah, I got that. I read it." Like, and it's is there something about the story it brings you in the way it's written? I can't speak highly enough about it. So, uh, yeah, for sure. If uh, for those anyone that's listening hasn't picked up his book, anyone's wondering, you know, who are all these people who are in the uh, the John McMahon mafia of uh, of CROs out there? Yeah, just enough. Just uh, there's no other there's no other sales leader like it. So yeah, what a way to finish. Thanks very much, Eric. Quite welcome, Andy. All the best. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you, sir. So that wraps up episode number seven of Masters of Medic. We heard from a few of you that you liked our outro music. So this episode, we can let the whole thing play out. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please leave us a rating and don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>